Honestly, to this date, I still don't have a clue like what MVP means. You know, to be honest with you, not that you know I don't like the the word. It's just like it's so it can be so shallow or so deep, right? You know, I've been through four or five different startups, and every journey is different. So I think, particularly for commit, unlike typical product building, you know, we kind of went the opposite way. You know, like Greg and I, like my partner and I, we know we can build communities. But what we don't know is if we can actually make it a, a, a proper business. My name is Bear Kai. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Commit. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Bear Kai established a remote-first developer community where engineers are paid to find their next gig. All this and more on Code Story. Bear Kai has been in the tech space for 16 years, almost exclusively in early-stage startups. The third startup he worked at did pretty well, which was Hootsuite. He was the first engineer writing the first line of code for the social sharing platform. Towards the latter years at the company, he fell in love with helping engineers grow their careers and managing teams. Passionate about community, started organizing meetup groups outside of the company. Outside of tech, he's married with two boys. He finds that being a father helps him to be a better business owner, thinking towards building something for the long term. Being based in Vancouver, he loves to ski during the winter and be outdoors hiking and camping in the summer. After Bear left Hootsuite, he was interested in getting back into the startup life and solving a new problem. He got together with his now co-founder, and a particular problem stood out to him, the difficulty in building a successful career within the startup ecosystem. He was puzzled to see great talent leaving the startup world, and he wanted to fix it through a private professional network. This is the creation story of Commit. I left Hootsuite because I'm just really missing the startup world, right? So I decided to move on, started a company, and sold it about two years later. After the exit, you know, I was ready to tackle a new problem. My good friend, Greg, who is my co-founder, you know, we met at Hootsuite in the early days. I was the engineer and he was the business person. You know, different department, but we share a lot of ideas, you know, ideologies in terms of building high-performance teams and stuff like that. So we got together, we explored multiple ideas, and one of the problems just really stood out, something that's been bothering me for a long time. I think like through my personal experience in the early days at Hootsuite, and also a lot of startup engineers I've met over the years, like share the same problem. It's just not easy to build a successful career in the startup ecosystem. It's very hard to find the best opportunity for you outside of your local circle, unless you live in San Francisco, right? Technical interview just sucks. It's nonsense, and uh, you know, and and engineers who work on the startups, they have to do this over and over again, right? You work at a startup a year later that failed, you move on to the next one, you have to do another ten rounds of interviews, which is just not uh, you know ideal experience, right? You join a company, there's really small team, lack of support tailored, you know, for you. So how do you become successful at the job? You know, how do you grow, grow your career? 
personal growth has never been a priority at an early stage startup. And then just all the financial stability that you have to deal with. So I think, you know, given all these problems and seeing a lot of a lot of great engineers, they chose to work at big companies like Amazon, Facebook. Yeah, it puzzles me and also painful for me to see that great talents leaving the startup ecosystem. That is the reason why I felt like this is a problem really worth of solving. So obviously, it's a journey that starting from solving small problems to you know where we are today. It's been a, been quite a journey. But in a nutshell, Commit is a private professional network you know for remote startup engineers. You know we empower our engineers to build better software and grow their career faster. So you can kind of think of us as a as a mashup of a Y Combinator plus LinkedIn for remote software engineers. You know we use data to connect developers together to solve problems faster. Essentially, in three key areas, we have this peer support component. Let's say intelligent peer support that connects engineers to get unstuck, you know, on day-to-day, you know, problem-solving activities. And then the other aspect is a learning and development, you know, which is really personalized way to help engineers to grow their career. And then the last one being, you know, helping engineers to find the right career opportunity to switch to. So those are the three key co- components that we have in our private community. So, so tell me about you know what would be the MVP, Bear. What what would be the MVP, the first product or portion you built for Commit? How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Honestly, to this date, I still don't have a clue like what MVP means. You know, to be honest with you, not that you know I don't like the the word. It's just like it's so it can be so shallow or so deep. You know, I've been through. Four or five different startups, and every journey is different. So I think, particularly for Commit, unlike typical product building startup venture, like usually you have an idea, you build a product as a free version to get traction, and then then you start offering paid service, right? But for us, we kind of went the opposite way. You know, like Greg and I, like my partner and I, we know we can build communities, we can tackle technical interview problems, we know how to support engineers. And but what we don't know is if we can actually make it a proper business. What we ended up doing is building this quote-unquote enterprise version to generate revenue from the get-go. Our very first MVP. It's essentially like a low-level, no-code email plus spreadsheet. What we do is we bring engineers in, we hire them directly as an employee for financial stability, and we go out and then connect with all the major seed-stage VCs and source high-quality startups, and then we make all the manual connections and we design a pilot program where engineers who join us get to、uh, try out different startups for a few months. And then pick the one that they're really passionate about and want to stick with long term. So that part of the business, you know, that how that's how we started, right? With with literally no software at all, right? Just kind of put them all together. You know, it's kind of weird, honestly. Like I came from the background of building software, and I have to hold my urge to write any line of, line of code, right? But I think you know, after this this program, you know, what we call it the EP program, engineer partner program. Became mature and we were able to help a lot of engineers. You know, we started using a bit more high-level no-code solution like Notion, Airtable, HubSpot, Typeform. You know, you name it. All these tools we kind of built certain automation together to just to make the whole process a bit smoother and less kind of labor-intensive. I think that carried us for over a year. You know, to continue fine-tune 
the EP program in terms of bringing engineers into our community and then bringing startups in and matchmaking. Since late last year, after we raised a seed round, you know, we were able to start really thinking deep on the, the long-term vision that we have in mind. This whole helping engineer finding opportunity, that's the entry point, that's the enterprise business that proves that we can build a model around this. But really our long-term you know, vision is this private professional network. So now we are building proper software platform, you know, transforming the whole matchmaking business into the software, but, re- but really start looking into building the platform you know, for this private professional network. You touched on these a little bit, but I'm going to give it space for a full answer. Um, tell me about the decisions and trade-offs you had to make. And maybe one of them was, you know, not using software in the beginning, right? Or another was when to, you know, add automation pieces or advance the product. But tell me about how you coped with those decisions. It, it, it was quite a struggle thinking about, you know, on one hand, there's all these amazing no-code solutions out there that is pretty mature that you know you can just use and get things working. But at the same time, you know, it won't be long-term and, you know, you, you won't be able to customize the way you want it, right? So there's, there's going to be pain point. On the other hand, we know we can build software, right? And we can build it pretty fast. Myself, my team, we are quite experienced. We still decided to go with the no-code solution, you know, just really optimized speed over quality. At this time, we are doing a lot of migration from all these no-code solution to software-based solution. And that journey has been uh, quite quite a mess. And I would still make the same decision, but definitely there's consequences that, you know, people need to be aware of. Another trade-off that we, we kind of have is just essentially, do we take the time to figure out what we build next? You know, meaning let's do proper research, user research. Let's make sure we design the mockups and then validate, you know, with the users. Or let's just build something really quick and get it tested right away. That's, that's always been a constant kind of struggle that we have to deal with. Now we are becoming a bit more mature and we are following certain product development cycle, you know, in terms of user validation. But back then we just used a combination of both, you know, based on a specific use case. How did you go about maturing and progressing the product? And I think to, to wrap that in a box a bit, what I'm looking for is like, how do you build your roadmap and how do you decide, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build. In the early days, it's just all in my head, right? <laughs> but then obviously that, won't, that wouldn't last for long. I think one thing we, we did right was, you know, really focusing on, you know, our customer problems, you know, other than thinking about, oh, we can build this feature, we can build that feature. Really, let's talk to our current customers and potential customers like engineers and just figure out for this startup ecosystem, you know, engineers trying to build a successful career in the startup ecosystem, what are the problems, challenges they are facing? So I was able to talk to over 100 engineers. I was able to gather almost like 200 problems. And then I I used something called Opportunity Solution Tree to organize those problems into a tree structure. And I think, you know, having that view gave us the sort of kind of sense like, okay, these are the problems worth of tackling and this is the priority, right? So it kind of gave us like three to six months of visibility into, you know, what we need to tackle. So I think that uh, that's a really interesting kind of experiment. I've never done that before. You know, this is something I've learned from an, another, you know, product manager that, that I've met. I, I think that approach worked out really well for me. 
you know, we never really even thought about building a one-year roadmap. It's just too unpredictable for us. Most of the time, we just have like two to three months of roadmap, maybe six months at very high level. Every problem we we work on is really just very experimental, experiment driven. We we use a combination of quantitative data using amplitude to track the the, the overall kind of quality, quantitative metrics. We also we also use products like Hotjar to track qualitative data, where we can actually see the user behavior, and then use that to inform our you know user experience and see what we can do to improve that, along with you know the bigger problems that we've gathered and then that we want to tackle you know through different experiments. From a software product perspective, you know we are more like a pre-seed, I would say. But our business overall, because we started with the enterprise, you know, sort of business, you know, we are like post-seed. Our team is has a, like a dozen employees, and uh, building an early-stage product, you know, with a dozen employees, communicating the vision, the roadmap, you know, synchronizing, aligning everyone, that's been quite a challenge for us. Well, let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people that indicated that they were the winning horses to join you? Obviously, skill set is a, a big factor we look at. But then uh, the most important thing I look for is, does this engineer or this member has a growth man- mindset? And is this employee highly you know, collaborative? So like, I think over the years, I've interviewed over a thousand people throughout my career. You know, I've hired, you know, over a hundred and working with lots of people. And I think just the thing I've learned is it's easy to train people up on skill set, you know, whether it's a technical skill or even soft skill like communication. What's really hard to train people up is the mindset. So I think, you know, for early stage startup, I, I felt like the most important thing is having that growth mindset being able to like a learning machine, right? Always constantly learning and relearning and uh, happy to uh, tackle challenges, you know, step out of the comfort zone and highly collaborative as well. Because I mean, you know, in early stage startup, I just really believe a strongly collaborative team that can tackle challenges together. is just really important quality. So those are the two things I usually, you know, look at the most, you know, on top of uh, just the, the skill set that we're looking for. Well, let's flip to scalability then. So in, interesting question, given I know you started without software, right? So I'll, I'll see where you start this question. But did you build this to scale efficiently early on or have you been fighting this as you grow? We have a very, very unique path here, actually. So normally what I would do is, you know, I would optimize speed for quality, like over quality anytime. As an early stage startup, you have so much constraint you know, the last thing you want to do is build a perfect software that nobody use, right? So, so I think, you know, I would just optimize speed for quality, you know, all the time. That being said, the uniqueness of Commit is our customers are engineers building early stage software. And our, our mission is to, you know, help them build better software and grow faster. You know, what we ended up doing is in the early days, as our community started shaping up, you know, we have dozens of really senior software engineers who has done it, been, been there, done that before. And what we did is uh, we got a few folks together and created an open source software called Zero, a scalable infrastructure on the cloud that you can build your any software on top of, you know, in a matter of like 10, 15 minutes. The reason we did this is really to, you know, as a tool, toolkit, 
to serve our our customers, you know, who are early stage startup engineers. And now it's been powering over, you know, a, a few dozen softwares like, you know, out out there. And that's kind of what we use you know, for our own software platform as well. So that gave us really like, you know, a scalable infrastructure, you know, with Docker, Kubernetes, CI/CD pipeline, you know, building on the Amazon cloud or GCP cloud, auto scaling, load balancing, you know, analytics, you name it, pretty much all the major components are encapsulated into this open source software. Even though our intention wasn't to build a scalable system, you know, as a startup, but we cannot make this project and we build our own project on top of this open source project. Our system is actually pretty scalable. Interesting, you know, with open source, have have you had, you know, a lot of contributions or have you had people find, commit and join, you know, the the network uh, based on that open source repo? It's actually something I really hoped would happen. This Project Zero, it, it isn't really a core business of ours. We just never were able to manage to give it a lot of attention. It's just been something organically happening. As any open source software, there are so many of th- these days, you you got to actually properly market it. Hiring a developer relation person to make sure, you know, this thing can, you know, is known by the community and being supported for the community. So when they got stuck, you know, someone is helping them, right? All these things that should have been done, we just never had the chance to do this, right? You know, we have a few hundred stars on the project on GitHub, which is really nice, you know, with zero promotion or anything. At some point, you know, we are definitely looking for, you know, hiring a developer relation person to really kind of put some, you know, guys on the fire here. Well, well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I I would just say, you know, it's the, you know, over a hundred engineers, you know, whose career, you know, that we, we helped. So for commit, you know, we are not... It's not like, you know, we are a uh, LinkedIn type of network where we need millions of people. Every every user, every customer who join us, you know, is very high stake. You know, they put their career in our hands, right? We literally help them finding the nice career opportunity and supporting them along the way, right? Just looking back, you know, thinking about the success stories that we've, uh, we've done and engineers that we helped. For example, one of our engineers, he tried a few different startups through our program and landed on one early stage startup. And now he's the CTO at the company. And he oh, he actually, you know, became, yeah, became a leader, a CTO, and started hiring engineers from our community as well. Stories like this just makes me super happy and feel like this over two years of effort is all worth of it. I, I think one thing that really helped us to really focus on the quality other than the numbers is having mission aligned investors, you know, who, who really give us space and time, you know, to figure out how we can cr- create deep value other than, or oh, more users, more users. So we actually have about 2000 engineers who apply to join our waitlist. And, you know, my partner, Greg and I, we constantly look at, okay, should we open it up to more, you know, engineers? Should we open it up to more engineers? And decision was always, no, 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 not not the right time. You know, let's just really focus specifically on this particular customer segment that we can do, do we can do really, really, really well. And that's exactly what we did. So rather than having a thousand people who likes us, you know, we right now we have over a hundred people who just loves us. So I think, you know, at some point we we definitely will open it up. 
being able to focus on you know deep value for a small set of users in the early days and making a really big impact, that just makes me feel really really good and proud. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Yeah, one mistake is is actually just back to the no code solution, right? So, so we had this、uh, Airtable, Notion, you know, Typeform combination of no code solution, right? And as we transitioned to software based, we we kind of rushed it. We didn't expect any problem. We just treated it as a typical software migration project, right? You know, I've personally done that many times. And what happened was, you know, as we built out the equivalent functionality on the software, our internal stakeholder folks. And some of our users just really super reluctant to shift to the software. They would rather stay on the no-code solution than the software solution that we built. You know, treating from a no-code solution to a software solution, you really have to look at it as an overall product, not a technical migration. I think that's kind of where we did wrong. The the user experience on the software platform wasn't exactly the same. We thought it would be better and more streamlined. You know, without doing much research and validation, and it turns out to be either something that the the user the users are not used to, or it's actually not intended to do exactly what they are looking for. Unfortunately, we wasted quite a few cycles there, which I I would totally you know do differently you know if I were to start it again. Right. I think you're you're right on with that. I think it is the pattern where you build a no code solution and you basically try to run it as long as you can until the seams burst. And then you've got to build something a little more robust. But if if you get to that point, then I guess your your idea is validated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the idea is validated on the old piecemeal, right? <laughs> and now now you want to build a new shiny thing, and is that actually shiny, right? I think I think that the key is really treating this migration as building a new product for a user base, but better, right? And I think I don't think you should、uh, take the shortcut. Just like build it and then、uh, migrate people to use it. Well, what does the future look like for Commit, the the product, the network, and for your team? The only thing that I have in mind is the whole remote working trend. You know, especially for tech professionals. You know, like I think Greg and I we started the Commit. Very focused on solving start startup engineer problems, but you know one interesting thing we did. When we, you know, launched the business, is we decided none of us have ever done remote working before, but we both somehow believe in, you know, the future is remote. So we started the company as a remote first company. We never had an office and you know stuff like that. We built out the team around virtual, you know, Zoom, right? But then over the years, over the years, you know, especially with COVID happening, we just really strongly believe, you know, that is where the future would be, right? Especially for tech workers and particularly for software engineers. So we are betting on, you know, five, ten, twenty years. Who knows? Remote working would be the default trend. So when that happens, every engineer's work interaction will have a digital trace. There's going to be a lot of data. So I think I think for us, how can we leverage that data to connect engineers to solve problems faster, to grow their career faster? Geolocation and career opportunities will be fully decoupled. So how can we connect engineers with the right opportunity, creating that liquidity? With that, you know, big trend in mind, we'll continue to focus on building this private community for remote startup engineers, and we'll, we'll focus on three key areas. You know, one area is 
really providing them career long value, right? Not the transactional one time thing, but really career long. And then uh, just really building deeper relationship with them. You know, we want to make sure we really understand the engineer, their skill set, personal, professional preference, personal interest, their growth goals, all the things that can really help us to help them, you know, to grow their career. And then become a layer of, of identity. For example, you know, a personal brand you know, that we can help them to build. So instead of, uh, you know, a LinkedIn profile, which is quite generic, how can we help them to build a personal brand that can really uh, showcase themselves, right? As a, as a software professional, right? And then also, you know, for other purposes, like finding a career opportunity, you know, serving as a resume for commit, we have a software platform, but there, it's also a community. So there's going to be offline experience as well, right? So how can we build a combination of online and offline experience, you know, like local groups, right? So I think that's something we, we quite look forward to as well. Well, let's switch to you, Bear. Uh, who influences the way that you work? You know, name a CEO, a CTO, an architect, really any person you look up to and why. Yeah, I have a few people. Like my first first one is just really my co-founder Greg. We have very complementary skill set. You know, my focus is on product and engineering, but you know, as a co-founder, I also think about the business, the long term, the vision, the strategy, right? And I think Greg has a very, is, you know, he's a very visionary person, and I learn a lot from him on a daily basis. He's really the most influential guy for me. I also have a personal coach. You know, I've never had a coach until half a year ago. Really valuable for me to figure out who I am, what is the things that I need to focus on, you know, what is the strength and weakness and what, what should I work on? Like, I think having a personal coach has really changed the way I think, I think about myself. So I think that's, uh, that's quite interesting. You know, I suggest, you know, founders, you know, to, to try that as well. Two person particularly influence the way I work, the way I think is, uh, you know, like when I started Commit, Eric, who's the uh, um, author of the Lean Startup, I read his book and just really loved the approach. Immediately after that, you know, reading the Running Lean book by Ash, which is more kind of practical guide. I think I followed a lot of the framework in my early research to make sure I'm building something, you know, that has value before actually building the product and business around it. The other person is Armand, who is the co-founder from HashiCorp. When I was at Hootsuite, we, we were pretty early adopters of Vagrant, you know, a tool that uh, HashiCorp created. Over time, we started using more and more tools that they, they created, right? The, the DevOps tools. In 2014, I believe, I, I got a chance to go to SF and, and met Armand in person. We had lunch together. Back then, they were a really small team, like three people in the office. And then just seeing them over the years growing, just being really amazing and admirable. One thing that is really influential for me is like their laser focus on developer experience. They're solving complicated, you know, infrastructure problems. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people do that, but then they have such a special, you know, attention to developer experience, making sure whatever they make is easy to use, well-documented, well-supported. I think that's a main differentiator for them. Although like, you know, I commit, we're not building DevOps tools, but that developer experience, that focus really influenced my, my approach in terms of uh, building commit. They've done incredible work over there. Yeah, I had Mitchell on the show and um, I really enjoyed a lot of his stories in the early days and uh, how he wasn't really intending to build HashiCorp and then all of a sudden there it was. 
Well, we, we talked about a mistake earlier, and, and you kind of alluded to this um, in your mistake, but I want to see where you take the question. So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different, or where would you consider taking a different approach? So personally, my focus and my strength is really building product and like technology. I've never done any product product management or or, or product design, right? And my, my partner Greg is more on the you know big vision and business side of things. So I kind of expanded my responsibility managing product and manage design only to learn that I'm not good at it. If I were to do this again, I would uh, partner up with either like someone who's very strong on product or someone who's really strong on design, at least one of them, you know, to complement my skill set. So we don't have to go through a bunch of issues that we had before. Yeah, so I think, you know, look at the key, key areas of skills that is missing and see if you can partner with someone. Could be a business partner, could be one of the first hires, right, to, to focus on. Another thing I would do differently is just, uh, you know, from a technical perspective, we started uh, building our software using a, a Node.js, but then uh, the senior folks on the team are really good at uh, Golang. And we started writing Golang for certain kind of components of, of our service. And now we have this mix of Golang and Node.js. You know, Node.js has been giving us troubles in terms of, you know, not a type language. Now we're dealing with both, you know, in the early stage product. I think the last thing I would say is just a bit of funny, like uh, name, naming things. Someone mentioned before, like the two hardest problems in software is naming a variable and, and caching, you know, caching management. So, so I think that naming a variable applies pretty well to the business. How do you name your persona? How do you name a project? How do you name different things at the company? Because the business evolves so fast, things can change, right? You know, the worst case scenario is the name you gave a project. And because the project changed, the name is really misleading now. What do you do with it? So I think for us, you know, one bad decision we made, oh, this name doesn't make sense. Let's uh, let's just give it a, a better name. And turns out it's just like a slightly better name. And now you have a, a name that doesn't make sense. And then uh, another name that is half-baked refers to the same thing. You know, it seems like a trivial problem, but actually when, when the team grows, I, I didn't do the exact calculation, but I'm pretty sure dozens of hours, you know, across the team would spend just to figure out, you know, what, what the hell we're talking about it here. You know, I think we would have been better just to spend like a fraction of the dozens of hours and then just, yeah, figure out actually a better name, like the best name for, to describe, you know, this project or this customer persona or whatever it is, right? So anyways, that's just like an interesting thing that I've learned along the way. Well, Bear, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? This is more like a, you know, reiterating the point. I, I think it's really important to focus on validating the, the, the ideas first before raising money or building the product right away, right? Like just talking to customers, like just really talk to customers, talk to potential customers, validate the problem, really to see like if people jump through hoops and they still, you know, use your product, it means you really have something there, right? I think, you know, that's the sign I'll be looking for. Don't rush building the software. You know, it's expensive. It takes a long time. Another thing I would say is 
when you feel that you're ready to talk to the investors, it's probably a bit late. You know, one thing I've learned is the second that the whole like raising fund became like a, an idea, I think that is the time you should just start talking to tier three or tier two investors, because every conversation through the investor, it, it really serves multi-purpose, multiple purposes. Like, you know, it helps you validate your idea, you get feedback. It kind of force you to really think through like your elevator pitch and value prop, and then building relationship along the way, right? So I think that's something that I've learned, and I think you know every entrepreneur should think about as well. I think the third thing is just、um, don't do this alone. I don't know the stats these days, but I, when I got into the space, founders usually just be the solo founder, right? I think it's better now, but I personally really appreciate having partners, you know, for 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 a new startup. That shares complementary skill set, but also shares the same vision. You know, startup is a hard journey. You know, lots of lots of hard time. I think the glory times is probably just like five percent of the overall journey. Ninety-five percent is just like nightmares, right? That you have to deal with, right? And how do you deal with that、uh, nightmare? You know, having a partner is just really really important. Oh, those are fantastic. Well, Bear, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Commit. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on Patreon.com/CodeStory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.